Hello, hello. This is Revolution Crew. Today, uh, well, good morning to most, good afternoon to others, and good evening to the viewing audience across the pond. I am M. Toussaint, your host for another episode of This is Revolution. Jason Miles is taking some time off to be with his family. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe, and if you like what you see, please make sure to hit the notifications bell as we're constantly adding new videos. Also, check out the latest Mau Mau Hour with Dr. Paul McComb on the latest news in Haiti. The show is a banger, and I can't recommend it enough. And check out Pascal Robert, the man of the Mau Mau Hour, on Bad Faith and German television station Deutsche World, discussing the current state of Haiti. Also, our very own Jean Bajlan was featured on the American Prestige podcast with Daniel Bessner and Derek Davidson, talking about the history of the Kurds. Today, we have cultural commentator and proprietor of Ill Doctrine video blog, Jay Smooth. But first, I'm going to bring out the homie, the dog, Pascal. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings, M2 Sun. Using the Jason Miles terminology, I love it. Hey, you got to. It's uh, It works. If it works, then then we should use it. How are you today, Pascal? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to the show today. We got some spicy, spicy topics going on here. Talking about Kanye, your favorite rapper. Kanye is not my favorite rapper. He's not my least favorite rapper. I don't hate him. I don't love him. Uh, I do find him interesting. I did tell you I wrote an article about him several years ago that went a little viral. What was that about? It was about Kanye West's song, New Slaves, and it being a an avatar into pop the future of the ruling class agenda for black America. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest for today, Jay Smooth. Hello, hello. Jay Smooth. Jay, let me tell you, man, I have been uh, an admirer of your work. We've been following each other, I think, on social media for several years. And I have been an admirer of your uh, work for quite a while. And uh, I'm very glad we had the opportunity to get you on the program to talk about this rather interesting and in the eyes of some contentious issue. So, yeah, the likewise. It's an honor to be here. I don't, I don't know if I love or hate discussing this topic, but uh, <laughs> we need to reckon with, I guess. Yeah, but I think we're going to try. We're going to try to deal with it in in a in a way that doesn't fall into the ridiculous cartoonish tropes. As well as you know, try to do justice to the intellectual sophistication of of uh, of the matter. But how are you doing? Are you in New York City still? Yes, yes, indeed. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you still representing the hip hop, the hip hop hoppers. <laughs> you know, yeah, trying trying to represent for us old heads. I'll be doing my radio show a little bit later, five thirty p.m. Eastern. All right, all right. So the first question I want to ask you, Jay, in terms of your opinion about this, can we get out there? Because I know we have you for a limited time, so we don't want to, you know, waste time uh, with anything that's not pertinent. Do you think Kanye West would have received the same condemnation for his statements, particularly the ones pertinent to the Jewish community, if he hadn't been perceived as a Trump supporter? Do you think that, in other words, do you think that the shadow of Kanye West as this kind of like MAGA hat wearing, you know, troll is so 
uh, indignant to those within the liberal establishment that they're going in with extra pounds of gunfire against him because of the statements he made, which are offensive. Let's not deny they're being offensive on their face. But do you think that that's a factor that may be leading into helping him get this condemnation? I would say that's definitely a part of it. I mean, just in general, I think he's, if he didn't have this extensive track record, he would get more slack. He'd have more space to try and come back and clean it up. Like we saw Jay-Z make more oblique, briefer references to Jewish people in one of his songs. And he had the space to come back and get back in good standing with people. You have uh, one of the things that people are rightfully calling out on Kanye was him wanting to name an album after Hitler. Uh, Griselda have a 10 album, literally a 10 album series, Hitler Wears Hermé because they don't have that track record of already being so messy, people give more benefit of the doubt and accept a different interpretation of that. I think Kanye has used up eight of his nine lives on that front already. And I think even more so, I mean, when these, when any of these corporate capitalist entities decides to cut somebody off like Adidas or whoever, that's never based on any morals or principles or political ideology. That's always like a market-based looking at the bottom line decision. And I think the biggest the biggest thing Kanye has done to weaken his position is he's just spiraling out of control everywhere, including creatively. If I'm at Adidas, I'm looking at someone who's already on this downward spiral, has put out a couple of whack albums in a row. So what is our long term? Do we make more money long term by riding this out with him until he can make more money for us? Or do we have a better profit margin by dropping him now? I think just his general downward spiral, these entities, many of whom, there might, I'm sure there's people in these boardrooms that are also Trump supporters, um, but they're looking at this as, well, we're not going to be able to milk this cash cow that much longer anyway, so there's no reason to cut slack or give him a chance to clean this up. I mean, none of us have the capacity to make mental health diagnoses of what's affecting him or what's not. But do you think it's a do you see this as a consequence of his mental health challenges? I mean, I know that he's stated publicly in the past that he's had some. Uh, or does does he, you know, is there any or is this a problem, a product of not having a, an emotional support structure? Maybe it's not necessarily mental health per se. Are there certain are there certain emotional structural systems that Kanye is lacking that you think is contributing to his seeming downward spiral? Yeah, I think all of those things are variables. I mean, what percentage or what ratio? I don't think we're in a position to say. And I mean, I always want to speak humbly about these mental health issues. I'm not an expert, but people that I know who have bipolar disorder and work on those issues will all speak of it. Like they clearly see the signs of that. They see him going through his manic episodes. I definitely think that's a part of it. And I think not having anyone around him who's going to be real with him and provide some kind of reality check. Like there's, there's no opportunity for him to hit rock bottom because he's always going to be surrounded by yes men and people are always going to be drawn to trying to be next to him as long as they think they could get the next feature or even just they can be in the room with Kanye and therefore in the room with the 10 other rappers that they're hoping to get a feature with. Like there's uh, the whole incentive, there's no, all the incentive structure 
pulls people away from being the type of actual friend or reality check Kanye needs. I'm just said, do you want to jump in with some questions? Sure. Well, I think what you just said makes a case for being a billionaire, being famous, just not being healthy in general. Who is who is going to give him that check? You know. That's yeah, yeah. He's it's. it's I mean, I've been with the amount of compassion I still have for Kanye. I've been rooting for everything to fall apart because I feel like that's the only way he's going to get the sort of rock bottom that'll force him to really work on his issues. Now, is that what'll happen when he hits rock bottom? I don't know. It could be something darker. But I think as long as he's still uh, on paper, if you move the numbers around the right way, billionaire, um, he's never he's going to be able to keep spiraling until he goes out the window or off the cliff. Exactly. Let me bring in someone who is important in this conversation. Uh, that would be Candace Owens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, she's currently Rasputin to Kanye right now. And <laughs> she's Svengali. <laughs> she is. She kind of hijacked his brain. So here we have this tweet from Adam22. Kanye spent 20 years building one of the biggest empires in music and fashion and threw it all away because he wanted to repeat Candace Owens' talking points on TV. What do we think about that? I mean, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he is, I think he is in a manic episode and is going to come down crashing from that and say, what, what the hell did I do <laughs> to my whole life? But um, I don't know. I mean, certainly Candace, I think he's susceptible to anyone getting next to him and getting in his ear. Um, usually, He's fixated on uh, connecting with people that'll help him gain the approval of, you know, white elites. He's always wanted that approval from the wrong people that he's never really going to get it from. And Candace Owens, I guess, is kind of perfectly positioned as this. Uh, and, and and Kanye's also invested in believing he's the free thinker. And Candace, Candace Owens is the perfect sort of. Uh, she has the siren song that can call him into believing. He's being more appealing to the people he wants to be appealing to. And he's this iconoclastic heterodox dude because he's hanging out with her. And Candace Owens, I think it's important to understand if you trace Candace Owens back. I don't use I don't throw the word grifter around all the time, but she's clear. Like you can trace back to when she wasn't representing any of this political ideology. Then she randomly got some public footprint from being sort of adjacent to Gamergate. She saw an opportunity and she suddenly was this Candace Owens who's repping all this nonsense. So I think Candace Owens, I see as strictly an opportunist who saw that she could get in Kanye's ear and yeah, like Rasputin, Svengali him into, apparently the end game was getting them to buy parlor. It seems like that might not work out. But yeah, it's, that's, I think Kanye's always been susceptible to having somebody next to him whispering in his ear and turning him to some dark side. But the thing is, though, there's a certain reality that we have to we have to really contend with is that there are certain things that Kanye West say that we may or may not like that re that resonate with segments of black communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the question is, is that as a result of a lingering conservative conservatism that exists in those communities 
Or is it because there is a perception that some of that discourse comes from a self-determinative attempt to chart one's path distinct from what are normally deemed liberal uh, influencers in the community? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a perennial sort of uh, challenge. Like there's so many times I feel like mainstream media is discussing black public figures and trying to place them on a left to right spectrum that doesn't necessarily apply when you look at the details of their perspective and where their perspective derives from. Like, like, uh, you know, Minister Louis Farrakhan is the most obvious example. He'll be placed as a sort of far left voice. When you actually look at what he represents, like people are just looking at very surface signifiers for how to place someone left to right. But the whole cultural, socio-political context he comes from, this is like a whole different axis from that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, sorry, what, 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 was it, what was the question again regarding Kanye? No, what I, what I was saying is that do you th- now how do we reconcile the fact that as odious as some of the things he may say uh, may be, that some of them might rec- they might resonate with certain segments of black spaces. And, tr- and, and does that resonance come from this attempt to strike out against the liberal status quo? I'm talking about, what, what, and to be frank, we're talking about certain brothers and sisters who come from the more nationalistic kind right. of pr- uh, uh, parameter of black thought who may find his attempt to strike a different tone outside of the, you know, the, well, the liberal establishment, if you will, if you believe such a thing, as an attempt at self-determination. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think there are a lot of people who want to have a critical distance from the liberal or democratic establishment, uh, rightfully. Um, and if you dangle an option in front of them that's actually coming from sort of toxic, regressive, right-wing place, if you package it the right way, that's going to be appealing to those people. And that's, I mean, that's, there's always been a susceptibility to that. And I think throughout the history of hip hop, you can see uh, messages that people, like people will assume rappers are representing some liberal left perspective, but there's always an appeal to more conservative instincts in certain ways. Like that's how many rappers have said, uh, I'm a boss and you're a worker as if boss is the compliment and worker is the insult. Like there, there's a. <laughs> no, like no, this. no, absolutely. Now we've delved into this subject matter before on our show in various times. And, you know, it, 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 it I'm, I'm always accused of trying to relegate these politics to being just a reactionary kind of conservative politics. It's as you stated earlier, Jay, they're more complicated than that. They're more sophisticated than that, and they have different different tendencies. But uh, M2 Sun, you want to jump in with any questions on that point? I do. I was doing some late night research last night and came across an, uh, a little panel discussion about Kanye, and they were talking about his White Lives Matter shirts. Apparently, the scheme was the profits from the White Lives Matter shirts would go to the Black community. And that was supposed to be his statement on Black Lives Matter, I guess the national part of it, um, embezzling funds and buying houses and stuff with it. But he could have, as a billionaire, as he says, he could have just donated money to the Black community 
directly. Yeah, I would be skeptical of that. That sounds like sort of retrofitting an explanation to something you did much more randomly at the time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Let's see. Um, so let's talk a little bit about exploitation. We know that Kanye is in the middle of some sort of episode. Uh, let's see. Um, he elaborated on his anti-Semitic and anti-Black remarks on Drink Champs with Nori and Tucker Carlson tonight. Do you consider both of those interviews to have been exploitative of a person with a mental illness in the midst of an episode, or only Tucker, who cherry-picked around the hardcore, the most hardcore statements in favor of dog whistles? Is Nori different in this situation from Tucker in terms of exploitation? Um, I mean, I'm more troubled by Nori because I know that Nori thinks of himself as Kanye's friend. I mean, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson is Tucker Carlson. We don't, we don't expect him not to exploit Kanye for views. Um, but Nori, and let me say, I've no, I first met Nori at Stretch and Bobito show before he had any records out when he was just like a member of Tragedy's entourage. I, I've always have love in my heart for Nori, but he's one of many in this hip hop circle that thinks of Kanye as a friend, but doesn't understand a, like a real friend would not be enabling any of this stuff. I, that's He needs friends who are going to turn the mic off like his old friends who made that documentary did when he was on one of his rants in, in that documentary, which I thought was really interesting, especially the last episode is a fascinating watch. Um, but yeah, Nori really disappointed me with that one. I would say, I mean, I think. Yeah. yeah Nori I, also I, went on to uh, go on to the breakfast club and say that he is pro free speech. Uh, but he is not uh, pro hurting people. He did not want the George Floyd's family to be hurt. But it seems like if he's going to be included in a lawsuit by George Floyd's family against Kanye, then it seems like Nori was just kind of backpedaling out of this, trying to uh, save himself. I mean, look, I think Nori is apolitical. I don't think he keeps track of any of this stuff. I think he had some vague sense that Kanye was messing up, but didn't understand the ramifications, um, didn't understand what your responsibility is taking something this high profile and this volatile on a show that's normally known for being really messy and all over the place. Um, I mean, that's in a traditional hip hop conversation with, with Buster or whoever, that it can be endearing. It can be part of the fun that they're all over the place and Nori constantly interrupts and there's no coherent discussion. But someone like Kanye at this moment, you needed to be able to recognize you have to meet a whole different bar right now. And this is not a bar we know how to meet. So Nori, I, just, I think Nori was very naive and is realized that he bit off way more than he could chew. Way more. Pascal? That's interesting because Nori admitted that literally he literally said that he's like hey you know i just i'm the guy who you know i was in a, in a special ed in school i'm not a journalist and whatnot but at the same time he didn't have a problem cashing those clicks that right that, yeah. that came from host putting that up on his on his url to get people to get those views so it's yeah, like he's still know, accountable he's still he's still downloaded it's still downloadable right 
Oh, I don't. I think the main one on YouTube got taken down. Of course, there are many bootleg copies up now. Wow. That yeah, yeah. I was a little. I I, I was a little down. I was a little sad to see that about Nori as well. Actually, I find Nori's show the more interesting out of some of these. So uh, do hip-hop, I. Yeah. So hip hop uh, podcast. And I'll say even Kanye's first appearance on Drink Champs. The sections of that conversation that weren't about the hot button issues that set Kanye off, where he's just talking about the art, talking about music, talking about his experience coming up in hip hop. I thought they facilitated a dope conversation in those sections. Um, And if if it was possible to have a whole convo with Kanye that was limited to that, I think it could be a really dope episode. And so but you can't really do that with Kanye now. Right. So let me ask you, I mean, this is this is a. This is a kind of uh, I don't want to say a loaded question, but this is this is the question I really wanted to get to the meat the meat of here. There's a history in hip hop of of rappers, particularly black rappers, discussing inordinate influence of various white ethnics in the management of the art form. Mm-hmm. I think Damon Dash used the term culture vultures. Do you think there is any way such conversations can be had without using outrageous anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, or is it just too impossible? to have that kind of conversation? I mean, I think it's got to be possible, but it uh, certainly seems to be more difficult than it ought to be. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of uh, sort of a funny sort of way of getting derailed by identity politics. Like there's so much, instead of focusing on the systems, you look for individual personalities that fit a certain box, like Lior Cohen, people will always sort of make Leo Cohen the avatar for everything they think is wrong with the industry. Right. No, I've never I, been clear on like why is there a reason you're singling him out other than he's the old Jewish guy who sort of fits the description to no, you? No, exactly, exactly. Because this is the thing though, and this is where I agree with you. It is a form of identity politics and where I think it actually la- it, it shows its lack of bona fides is that when you interrogate Leo Cohen as an individual he has hip hop bona fides that many of these rappers right. who yeah. will accuse him right. of being a culture vulture don't yeah. have. It's exactly right. You know, so what are we saying? Are we saying that someone who is not black can't have been in the game back in the day, loading crates, working as working on tour buses, literally just starting the music, starting out with the music at the beginning, or 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 is hip hop? filthy racially exclusive or somatically exclusive if you will so that's a very good that's a very good response i agree with you that it is a form of kind of identity politics in that regard but how do we address that in a way that uh, that demit that delegitimizes the racial hotbed that those conversations try to take us to yeah i don't i mean I think you need people who are good, compelling speakers that can reframe it in a way that's attractive to people, because that's just that sort of simple lizard-based appeal towards, look at that guy. That guy's the guy that you know is exploiting us. If we could, that's that's just naturally attractive to us, because on an, on a gut level, that's how our brains work. So if we could find some other way to steer people towards a more substantive, useful conversation, we just we need the right speakers who really understand a bigger picture and can articulate that in a way that'll draw people over. 
Absolutely. We need, we need to cross over Boots Riley. Sure. Well, I think this is a good point to introduce um, our next artist that we're discussing. You know, still discussing Kanye, but also bringing this in. Uh, Santi Gold recently canceled her tour. Uh, she wrote a letter uh, and put it on Instagram. I'll read a part of this for you and put it on the screen. One moment. Here. So she says, as a touring musician, I don't think anyone anticipated the new reality waiting awaiting us. After sitting idle, not being able to do shows for the past couple of years, many of us, like everyone else, earning or I'm sorry, let me move that. Anyway, earning little to no income, every musician that could rushed back out immediately when it was deemed safe to do shows. We were met with the height of inflation, gas, tour buses, hotels, and flights, flight costs skyrocketed. Many of our tried and true venues unavailable to, due to a flood market of artists trying to book shows in the same cities and positive test results constantly halting schedules with devastating financial consequences. All of that on top of the already tapped mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional resources of just having made it through the past few years. Some of us are finding ourselves simply unable to work. She, uh, towards the end of her letter, she says, and I'm here thinking, should I just, oh, okay, well, mm, she makes a metaphor about being in a vehicle and the bumper falls off and the wheels fall off. And she's thinking, should I just hold up the doors and run? And my little heart that has been working way beyond its limits, my whole body, in fact, and my soul too are screaming at me, no motherfucker, pull the fuck over. So, I feel this is one way to discuss the exploitation of recording artists without any dog whistles, anything anti-black, anything anti-Semitic. What do you guys think about that? I think that's fair. I mean, I also think that it's also, it, it indicates that there was a disproportionately negative way in which the music industry was neglecting its talent during the COVID industry, the, the COVID lockdown. Right. It's a very serious conversation to be had. Yeah, that that yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, like that's there should have. I mean, even from, even from that, you know, bottom line is everything perspective. They should have been making sure that these artists that we rely on are going to have something that's sustainable and that, that that'll be sustainable. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there's just been a lot of there's been so many rapid changes in the technology and the ways in which we consume recorded or live music and with the pan with trump era and pandemic jumping in the middle of that i think it's difficult for a lot of artists to figure out how to keep it sustainable for themselves and there's a always been a lack of institutional support for creative artists you know that's, that's rappers don't have a union rappers don't get health care has been a refrain for decades for decades for sure and the recording industry oops sorry real quick the ahead, recording industry the recording industry isn't known for moving with the times but here we have a situation where the entire world has changed over two years um should we be expecting them to change 
Should we be trying to pull the lever of the consumers, maybe? Is it a sign that this music and then these artists are also disposable? Who cares about them? Who is supposed to care about them? Lots of questions. <laughs> those, are, those are big questions. I mean, as you know, I don't want to give a sort of neoliberal, we can change this with our individual purchases. But I do think there's more opportunity than ever for artists to develop a direct relationship with a devoted audience who can directly support them. Um, I think the more that we on both sides of that can figure out the little the sort of little sort of pockets where the rows can grow up through the concrete and we can sort of uh, they can get art out there and we can support it without going through all those corporate middlemen. I think pursuing that as much as we can is something we should be doing as much as possible. Now, that's all still dependent. I mean, you know, Patreon is still a company that can pull the rug out from under everybody at any given moment. Like we're still we're trying to figure out how to be humane in a really precarious system. Well said, Pascal. Are you a fan of the way in which technology has shifted the way the music has been made available to consumers? Or do you think it just really is another form of a parasitic relationship between institutions and the creators? Um, I think it's some of both. Um, I mean, it's so hard to say because we each, whatever relationship we have with art and music in our formative years, like it's very easy to feel like I grew up going to the store and buying hip hop on vinyl. And that's, that's essential to having a proper experience with the music. Like it's easy to feel like uh, the fork and the spoon that you use to get your nutrients were an essential part of the process of feeding yourself. But really the next generation is finding their own way to those nutrients and we just can't relate to it because they're not using the, the same fork and spoon. Um, but I think, uh, look, I think the advancement of the technology is neutral, how each party adjusts to that and capitalizes on it is where corruption and greed and so on come in and the music industry, media entities, they're built to adjust to new things and figure out how to exploit them with great alacrity and it can be it can be a challenge for individual artists to figure out where they fit in i mean that's just for all of us who just make content online there's been so much evolution towards it was only like 10 years ago i could make videos that were primarily being engaged with on my website that i own five years later it's almost impossible to do that. Like you have to go work on one of these main social media plantations in order to get traffic. And that's, I, I think it's always more challenging for the individuals trying to create and connect with people, create community with their creative work. I guess it's always going to be tougher for us to adjust than it is to these companies. Well, see, the, the tech is not the problem. It's the system. The capitalist system is overall. Would you would you agree with that analysis? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there are pros and cons endemic to how each platform or technology evolves. I and mean, I think with Twitter, the way it's designed, the incentive structure that's set up there, it encourages a lot of people just to bring up their lowest selves. Um, you know, I think there are 
the the way like these platforms are all designed just to be sticky and keep us roped in and be in a behavior feedback loop be in a loop of certain behaviors that'll keep us on the site and and a lot of times that means connecting with unhealthy instincts within us where like we go on twitter and assume this is the place where we're supposed to be finding ways to dunk on people and get high fives for it like that's they, there's the platforms are designed to they certainly don't care about making the platform healthy for us and the ways that they keep us stuck in there giving them uh views is often unhealthy for us indeed no it makes a lot of sense there too so you want to jump in ah sure i mean there's also the algorithms which we do play some part in teaching ah. the algorithms some. how to treat us some yeah. part yeah. yeah, I want to ask you a question that, uh, oh, Tucson, I'm sorry, I, I asked you to jump in, you didn't ask the question. Oh, that's all right. Go ahead. You, you know, you've been, you've worked as a hip-hop DJ, a conveyor of the culture for many, many years. What is the health state of the, of the art form? What is the state, if, if you had to do like a triage, of the state of hip hop as an art form. What is the state? I don't know if you want to use a one to 10 scenario or you want to use another way to describe. What, how would, do you think that the music is in crisis? Do you think there's a, there's a crisis of hip hop music? Do you think there's a crisis of music in general? That's always so hard to answer just because the hip hop world is so much broader and deeper. I mean, I started collecting records around 1986. At that time, I could go to the music factory in Times Square, look at the big wall of 12 inches, about 40, 50, 12 inches. That was all the new hip hop that had come out since the last time I went to the music factory. Now, that much new hip hop comes out every three milliseconds. And there's so many subgenres, local scenes, international scenes, subsets of subsets of subsets of scenes. It's impossible to really say that there is one singular state of hip-hop to me there's just so many hip-hops we contain multitudes um i think on mainstream commercial side that young people are buying i have been especially troubled by the industry of drill rappers that whole scene just the way that these record labels and companies are taking people, taking these kids, these children, straight off the street. Like a kid makes a homemade video, 16-year-old kid with all his friends, and tank tops, waving big guns around in their mother's basement. Rapper, a, a record label sees that. And rather than, like back in the day, Motown was signing artists and putting them to farm school. They were, okay, here's what we need to do to let you adjust to this life. Record labels now do the opposite of that. They say, here's this kid representing the most retrograde, dangerous path towards death or jail. We're going to sign him so that he can keep replicating exactly that mm. and keep trying to live that out in the streets so that it's credible. And we're going to milk that until it runs dry and he either dies or goes to jail. And we're going to get the next one. Like there's, It was so interesting to me when... Uh, when the whole Rico case, it was a, it was a Rico case, right? And it was a federal case against uh, Takashi 
and that whole crew he was a part of. Now, Rico, the whole purpose of Rico is to give you as much poetic license as possible to say that other people tangentially connected are complicit in any crimes anyone's doing in this whole circle. It was so interesting to me that everyone got roped in on that Rico, except the people at the record label assigned Takashi and knew full well what they were signing, what they were enabling, what they were eliciting, like those that person who actually to me is at the top of the pyramid never has accountability. He gets to just go on and find the next Takashi. Then when that one burns out, he'll go get the next one. Free young thug, by the way. <laughs> you stuck on the young thug. <laughs> He's got Rico charges up against him now. And, and I don't That's know how good it's free, looking. Free surf. Sorry? Free Sue Surf. Hey, man. Great, great battle rapper who just got snatched up. Look at that. So well, do you think say- the core so the correlation between antisocial behavior, if you will, and what the, the lack of interest of the music industry in procuring in uh procuring artists that are less willing to engage in that antisocial behavior, there's no there's no incentive. In other words, there's no incentive on the part of trying to find a way to get the industry to help get this the young talent away from this behavior at all. There's no there's no is there's nothing that actually creates that within the way the relationship between the artist and the actual label at all. Um I mean there doesn't seem to be a functional incentive right now. I don't know what we can do to rejigger that. I mean The the reason that things usually progress and a new paradigm establishes itself is someone like our Nirvana, someone like uh, whoever you want to say, someone someone comes through and is just so powerful, so compelling aesthetically that they establish a new paradigm for what's going to be profitable, what's going to be marketable, and then the industry is going to fall in line with that. Because like I said, there's these industries are politically neutral at the end of the day. Like if they if they thought Public Enemy Junior was going to sell the most records, there'd be a dozen Public Enemy Juniors getting pushed right now. Um, so I think like, I think the best and it's so tragic to me. There was a time I felt like Kanye was potentially that person. Like when he was when he was at the peak of his creativity, he eclipsed. 50 cents super narrow representation of what realness was and showed you could be this nerdy kid who makes great music, even though Kanye was already kind of megalomaniacal at that time. I think someone like that, if, if someone can come forward and just really, I'm going to show that this is the dope shit now, the industry and the culture and the audience would follow that. But outside of that, I think it's difficult to really persuade these entities not to just keep getting the quickest check they can make. Do you think that there's, some, there's something endemic to the political economy of hip-hop that it fosters music that has negative, that that has some negative social consequence? Or is this a, a function of something outside of the political economy of the music itself? I don't know. That's, that you know, that's something I've wrestled with uh you know for for years and years and years i mean you know i think dan charnis 
um, illustrates this in his book, The Big Payback, that just the apparatus for having a mainstream big business hip hop industry was coming together right around the time that NWA and the directly post NWA generation of hip hop was becoming the dominant style and the way to make the most money. And so these, all of these structures got initially built, like hip hop radio was being born right at the time that that was becoming the dominant type of hip hop. And these structures got built upon exploiting that type of hip hop. But I don't know, it's, it can be a theory that that's, that's just had this long lasting effect where it's been hard to get out of that loop. I think it could also be deeper things than that as well. I mean, I think there's, it's hard to map out. I think there's a whole mix of uh, factors and variables, but it's definitely hard to shake. Or maybe it's just a reflection of the economic reality of underclass crisis that happens in black America with deindustrialization, neoliberalism, and the fusion of a few other things that are the greater reason behind this social dislocation that causes this behavior more so oh, than the music. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the, if if the conditions changed, that would change the whole rest of the equation. I'm too sure. You want you want to take it up? You got a question you want to add? We do have a super chat. One moment. Here we are. Uh, this is from Finonomics. Mm. Uh, yeah, you should read more Cabral and Fanon to realize the experience of colonial domination shows in the effort to perpetuate exploitation, the colonizer creates a system to repress the cultural life of the colonized. I don't think anybody here is going to disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, Kanye should have been exposed to these ideas. You know, he keeps saying he doesn't read. I don't believe he never read. You're being raised by the mother I know he was raised by. I don't believe he ever read. I think he thinks that's a cool thing to say. I think he doesn't read now, but I think he's, I think he grew up around influences that, that should have stuck more than they did. I mean, he was kind of a middle-class kid from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, no, I'm not saying, you know, he came up in the, the radical collective or anything, but I think he, he should have, I feel like he was growing up exposed to schools. Yeah, I mean, his, his mom was a university professor. I think his father comes out of some movement politics of something. His father was a Black Panther. He likes to say that. Yeah. But uh, did you have a follow-up question, Tucson? Sure. Well, not, not about that. Uh, I think maybe we can bring in our, our last subject. Yes. Oh, yes. On that article. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to check out that article. I skimmed it. Yeah. You tweeted it. That's where I got it from. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, all right. Let me pull up my notes here. Michael Santiago Render, also known as Killer Mike, is one half of the political rap group Run the Jewels. He's complicated, enigmatic, and calculated. And he's vastly more dangerous than Ye, according to a recent HuffPost article entitled, This Rapper is More Politically Dangerous Than Kanye West. On its face, how do how do you guys respond to, to a charge like that? 
yeah, it's, it's a little. Um, I read the article. It was a little, uh, I don't know, alarmish, alarmist to me. That they somehow Killer Mike is more dangerous to Kanye West because he talks to Republicans. So talk, just talking to, I mean, I'm not convinced of the argument that Killer Mike is necessarily trying to move Black America to support the Republican Party. I think that he's trying to be a player in a game. He's trying to leverage himself. I agree. And by by being able to give himself a platform, I think he sees himself being able to do so by playing between different interests. Yeah, I I feel like Killer Mike is more invested in being seen playing a certain role than he is concerned about the real world effects of playing that role in any given situation. Like I don't I don't think he's going to talk to Kemp like this may or may not help Kemp or hurt Abrams. He's thinking, look, I want to keep showing people I'm the guy that could have this conversation with anybody. I could reach across the aisle. You know, I'm I'm the independent thinker and the, the person who could, you know, break bread with anyone. I'm, you know, I'm that I'm that community guy. Or the same with Herschel Walker. Um, and I, yeah, I think I don't think he's as mindful as he should be of. Uh, what are the practical effects of uh, trying to assume that role? No, exactly. I think that he he wants to be a broker. He wants to be a he wants to be a right. broker in black politics in the traditional sense. And I, I I love Killer Mike. I think Killer Mike is great. So I I, I don't know. I think that more the, this rapper is more politically dangerous than Kanye West. That's I don't even know how you uh, quantify that. I, to me, that's just the type of headline you have to make nowadays to try and get clicks. Like I, I shared that despite the headline, not because of it. I just wanted to address uh, Killer Mike's actual quote that was in the piece. I wanted to ask you, you know, on, on Killer Mike and Kanye and, and, you know, Killer Mike sometimes flirting with, you know, sometimes a little bit conservative ideas. What do you think about this discourse that has taken up in a certain spaces online and in the media? that there is a cadre of black men who are flirting with conservatism and that the Democratic Party needs to, uh, you know, quote unquote, reel them in or deal with them because they are not voting in line with the majority of the black community or with black women. We did a whole show on a mile, mile hour based on a MSNBC report by Tiffany Cross, where she was literally trying to castigate black men for seeming like there's too many of them were willing to vote Republican. What do you make of this discourse? One, do you think that there's any truth to it? Two, do you think it's overblown? And three, so what? If if individuals want to vote vote in a in a position that responds to their politics in a certain way, does their racial identity require them to have to surrender to the whims of other individuals within that community? So, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell how widespread that actually is. I mean, there are loud voices on the internet sort of cashing in on the bankability of being this sort of alpha male black Republican influencer. Um, and they build an audience and make a lot of noise in social media. But if it's if the result is, uh, you know, black black men are voting 91% for Biden instead of 94% or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how catastrophic. I mean, I, I guess every vote counts, but I feel like that may be overstated. 
how many how much influence that has and certainly there's no there is no obligation to just be loyal to democrats that was one of the things that always puzzled me the most when people talked about bernie sanders they well well he's not even a real loyal democrat and i'm like well yeah i know <laughs> that's that's kind of part of the point here to me like I, this idea that they're supposed to just be a fealty to that party i think or you know or the silly thing that biden said um you know the you ain't black thing like i think that if there's a wake-up call that shakes democrats out of that mindset i think that's a good thing no and no one talks about that perhaps there are some tangible actual policy initiatives that might be necessary I mean, listen, I, whenever I see this, I was like, listen, from from whether it be mass incarceration to the 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 the, 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 the industrialization that was some, that was supported by NAFTA and GATT, the Democratic Party over the last 30 years has not exactly been a friend of working class people, particularly brown, poor black and brown people. So I don't understand why it's surprising to people that at a grassroots level, you're going to find particularly black men who in some ways are more disadvantaged by these policies saying that they're going to opt out and choose not to vote for Democrats. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's the answer is give them a better alternative than the, than the junk food these other folks are offering. Tucson, you want to jump in? Yeah, I have a somewhat sassy tweet ah. from Killer Mike here. Uh-oh. Let's just get this up on the screen. Listening. Here we are. Don't waste your time being mad at a two-year-old picture of me. You better get to door knocking and canvassing for your side. I have not publicly endorsed any candidate and will be keeping my vote a private matter. Twitter ain't real, so get your ass out and cast a vote. Shrugging emoji, winking emoji, sunglasses emoji. Thank you for the effective demonstration of your knowledge of the emojis. It's very important for the tone of the tweet, which you're not supposed to intone. You're not supposed to infer tone from tweets, but I think he has a very definite tone there. To hell with Stacey Abrams. It seems as though he's saying. Stacey Abrams does not automatically have my vote because I'm black. She needs to get to canvassing and doing her work. I mean, look, that may well be true. It's, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen Democratic Party operatives suck at their job many times in recent history. I don't there may I don't know what's happening on the ground in Atlanta. That may well be true or in Georgia, I should say. Right. But I still don't think that makes the role Killer Mike is taking up productive. I think he's still just kind of putting the spotlight on himself to no real end. I, you said you said it best. I think the killer Mike is trying to you know he's trying to make himself a player in the game. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I think that's basically a, that's a good diagnosis. I think. True. Well, according to the article, Stacy needs to. Stacy doesn't step her game up. She's a good place, and so you know the article pushes them uh, against each other that way. Well, we'll see. It seems like the, the polling data coming out of Georgia seems like it's like neck and neck, and it's very close. So, I mean, either way, I think that there's going to be a lot of attempts that Democrats are going to need to have to go to get people to come out to vote. To to make it, they got a long way ahead of them. It's going to be a hard a hard road to tow. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not not psyched about this. Yeah, Herschel Walker. 
Herschel Walker is uh, an issue. He's, uh, it really shows how blatantly and entirely people's politics are. We want our side to be in power. We literally do not care which individual we have to vote for. We just we want no. that we want that body in the seat that gives our side the numbers. Period. No, it's a complete degradation to any type of integrity when it comes to politics. And sheer just kind of like numerical, kind of like, okay, we get the boxes checked. We're right, in power. Like in sports, right. Like our, our team's winning. So have yeah. we decided? Is uh is Killer Mike a bigger threat than Kanye West? I don't I don't think that Kanye West I don't think either one of them is a threat to anything except themselves. Yeah, I mean so yeah, that's I mean I don't want to discount the impact that Kanye has by normalizing the talk he's talking right now and like those dudes we saw pulling out the the post you know, pulling putting the on sign the on the highway in LA, like I think there is a danger in him normalizing and escalating that stuff. I don't know how we productively compare Kanye and Killer Mike in that regard. I mean, Kanye is a lot more famous than Killer Mike. I think it's easy inside this type of we're in to forget that. Like most people don't know who Killer Mike is. So like Kanye, Kanye messing up has much wider reverberations than Killer Mike, I think. So that's comparison has to start there. No I doubt. don't believe Killer Mike is a divorced dad. <laughs> Certainly Kanye is. So I see definitely his contrarianism coming out and his divorced dadness. I don't know if you guys saw the Pierce Morgan interview. Um, he also had one with Lex Friedman. Yeah, who is Lex Friedman? I don't even know. He's an MIT graduate, Joe Rogan bro. Okay, that makes sense. I was thinking he was like a Timothy <laughs> Ferris bro or something like that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I've only watched bits and pieces of all these clips. I've tried just to have a fully informed opinion, but they're all long as hell and painful to watch. They are. Uh, I think it was during the Pierce Morgan interview. Um, they asked uh, Pierce asked about his family, and he just kind of tried to hold back tears. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's ever been someone who needed to be living a private life, being an individual therapy, group therapy, like that's, I, I wish for Kanye to be doing the opposite of everything he's doing, but that's never going to happen unless he hits a rock bottom that has a safe enough landing that he's forced to do that. So, so someone just made a statement. This is too funny. I got to read this. He said, when I think of Killer Mike, I think of him at a strip club playing only black strippers as a sign of supporting the black underclass. <laughs> and you better, better put those singles in a black bank. That's right. <laughs> Yo, that was the funniest comment. <laughs> That's funny. If uh, Pascal, if you could say one thing to Kanye right now, what would it be? Oh man, go see your doctor. Go see your doctor, man. Take see your go see your psychiatrist. Take your meds and chill. Well, he's kind of in the Stalin position where he doesn't trust the doctors anymore. Of so course, he's in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me that one of the clips I did see from uh, 
the drink champs is when he starts saying, you know, I'm so powerful right now. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas wouldn't drop me. Now, everyone's seen that clip. But what's interesting to me about that clip is he's telling us that he thinks saying anti-Semitic shit is the worst thing you could do. And that means he's deliberately doing what he thinks is the worst thing he can do in order to prove that he can get away with that. Now, that's either hubris and it also or tells me, It also tells me, like, he kind of wants to say it. Why would you want to say anti-Semitic stuff? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I think he is He's susceptible to these tropes that have been around forever. And he also, like, I think he's in a mindset where he wants to tempt fate. By doing what he knows is the mo- what he thinks, what he believes is the most untouchable thing. I think that was part of the draw towards doing this. He also believes that um, so his a child was planted in his home to sexualize his children, which was never elaborated upon how that was supposed to work. But apparently, you know, just a lot of paranoia. So it makes sense to see conspiracy everywhere and then to I mean I I don't like I don't want to come off like I'm discounting the danger of the anti-semitism that he's spouting and all the other stuff he's been spouting I like I don't want to sound like I'm saying those are not the real issues if I focus on his personal health but I am also worried about him like I've been having conversations about Kanye that remind me of conversations I had about Tupac in the last year of his life or I'm talking to folks behind the scenes like you if Tupac continues on like this like he's not going to be around by the end of this year which turned out to be exactly what happened now that's happening with Kanye in a totally different way but I feel like the end of this downward spiral it, it could be a dark place a lot of people who are enabling and contriving ways to cheer for it and keep being a stand like to be a lot of regrets I hope that won't be the case are you seeing a lot of stannery out there people he just has a hold over a lot of that younger generation like 20 somethings 30 somethings they're just locked into a point where they will really rationalize anything even saying losing every business deal he ever had is a part of his master plan to be free or something or other like that's there's just there's a just mass delusion there to me that even just extends to trying to tell yourself that those last two albums were good like so look musical taste is subjective but those are half-assed unfinished works like that's just an objective fact but he's not he's not putting in the work on his art like he used there's no way you can dispute that but he's a genius people are, he's a i'm genius. not genius also super subjective i wouldn't be mad at calling college dropout through dark twisted fantasy representative of genius i still consider that i still think that run he's the most important artist artist of his generation within that run to me but you know being a genius doesn't uh protect you from uh, having all sorts of other issues that's true that's what his wikipedia says <laughs> greatest artist of his generation greatest producer i mean i think you can make it yeah i think you can make space for that yeah I, I totally agree. So if you could say one thing to Kanye right now, what would it be? Oh, man, I don't know. How do you how do you say something that will break through? I, mean, mm-hmm. I think he's only going to receive a message that is uh, 
crafted carefully to appease to his ego. So what, like, what's, what's the statement you make that gives you an open to get him to listen and then shakes some reality into it? I, I don't really know what it would be, man. Yeah, maybe a hug. I, if, I, I don't if know. If he'll allow it, if he'll change know. out of that brown hoodie, maybe you can <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of clothing, I love your shirt, DMBS. Oh, yeah, yes, man. Just long live Michael Brooks, man. I was a big fan. I think I said terrible. I was wondering if that was a Michael, Michael, Michael Brooks merch. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's more, there's more logo and stuff on the back, but yeah. Very nice, very nice. Well, so right, uh, let us know what you're working on that we should be looking out for. I do my radio show every Saturday around 5.30 p.m. <laughs> even more underground railroad because we moved on from our original home at wbai radio um yeah 537 you can go to hiphopmusic.com or bonfireradio.com working on a couple of other projects i can't talk about yet but sometime next year they will launch so you should should be seeing seeing more of me starting in 2023 and you know i'm still still in the cut on facebook and twitter i'm not not, I'm not leaving. <laughs> you have a new co-pilot, a relatively new. Wallace? Oh, Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yes. Wallace definitely <laughs> representing in the back. I'm surprised he's not on camera. Wallace is a cat, by the way. Wallace, Wallace yes, is the cat. Wallace is a cat. Drake is my duck. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. Drake Pierre. That is that is my duck. Thank you well, so Jay, much for being here. Jay, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. appreciate it. I'm glad we had a finally the ability to have this conversation. It was a good talk. Likewise. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Excellent. We'll see you again. All right. Bye-bye, y'all. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye. Good conversation. Oh, you think about the chat. Y'all were spicy. Y'all, this is just, the audience was like, ooh, this is revolution. This is pop culture. Let's get it in. Yes, chat did get really spicy. I took got a, mad at me. Shirley got mad at me because I dissed the Democratic Party. Don't get Shirley mad. That's that's never gonna be good. That's not a good thing. I have a, a super chat for you. Go ahead. Um, this is from Deshaun Too Nice. People say black men hate black women because the world is built off of anti-blackness. What are your thoughts, Pascal? I don't believe that black men innately hate black women. I think that there are some black men who hate black women. I don't think most black men do hate black women. I think that there are certain tangible materialist realities that socialize black people to uh, have you know, contempt for themselves as a result as a way in which society negates them. Fanon said that you know that the, the oppressed will always believe the worst about themselves. And I think that in some ways affects the way that they can treat each other. So I don't believe that black men innately hate black women or that black men or that black women innately hate black men. I think that there's certain conditioning that exists in American society and Western society that can cause that behavior to happen. Hmm. Good answer. Good answer. I think it's all it's it's overstated. Black women and black men tend to marry each other the most. Disproportionately at higher rates. Yes, they do have families together chat do you have any questions for us we are here standing by ready i like mariana's statement gender war shit is so tired it really is i'm so tired of it yeah 
here for that. Totally agree. Let's see. I never hate Pascal. Dems suck. People That's vote true. them because ours will kill them faster. Well, this this has been a great show. So, what do you think? Jay, Jay, Jay was a great guest. He was an excellent guest, and I'm so glad. I was a member of his community for the Underground Railroad for many years. I was briefly an intern, and I'm so glad to be on a podcast where I could host him. There you go. Amazing. There you go. So, what do you think about what we were talking about in terms of what's affecting Kanye M2 since You were. The Kanye hurt. I don't know. I think the divorce dad thing is is a really big, uh, really big issue. It seems like you know, divorce dad is is a it's a it's a. I don't want to say it's a mental illness, but it seems to come to it so much that these men's lives are completely changing because they're not with their families anymore. So you think that one of the motivating factors behind Kanye West's downfall is the fact that he's recovering from the divorce from him, and he, I mean, which is not finalized yet, the depending divorce between him and Kim Kardashian? Yes. Yes. I think that, that really he was about to cry twice in interviews that I've seen recently. We have a, a super chat from your friend. Oh, come I like on. the way you can say his name. Go ahead. What's the lombre? Big wolves. Big Woz is my man. Wozley, first of all, listen, all respect to Rakim, but Big Daddy Kane is my favorite MC of all times. I'm going Big Daddy Kane over Rakim all, at all, all night, all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, lo- I love both, really. There's a, a really good podcast, I forget the name of it, that tracks Big Daddy Kane's entire career, his entire life. Um, it's it's excellent. It is excellent. He's talking about how um, in the beginning of uh, in the beginning of rap, dudes would just line up in front of a microphone, and even if they said the same rhyme, it was just like accepted and wonderful, and everyone was just happy to be there. At the age of one, I was having fun. At the age of two, I was doing a do. At the age of three, it was all about me. <laughs> like, wait a minute, man. At the age of four, I was getting it on. And you'd have a bunch of dudes lining up just to say that. Rap was really something back in the day, wasn't it? Someone has a question here. Pascal, what is the future of the Senate? Will people eventually recognize how anti-democratic it is, and will they do something about it? Oh, man. <laughs> that and the Electoral College. I think that, I think that we are going through a crisis of legitimacy with every institution we have in the West, not just the United States. When we look at what's going on with Great Britain and their parliament, the fact that they've had two or three uh, prime ministers resign within a span of a few months is endemic of a way in which that in this age of precarity, largely due to COVID and various factors, no one has any trust in institutions of governance. And what's even worse, the institutions of governance are not demonstrating any real, real reason for people to trust them. And I think that when that situation becomes publicly known, 
then rebellion becomes possible. Once more cinema made a question, I, I didn't ignore him. I didn't see the question. Let's see this one first, then. We have a question from Jeremy S. Can you talk about how liberals tend to view black folks as inherently progressive by their mere existence because of the civil rights struggle and past suffering? So they grab symbolic heroes. Ooh, ooh, hit him and hit him. There's a great story about David Dinkins, who was the former mayor of New York City. And there was a proposal being put forward by the Democrats. Uh, Governor uh, party in New York, and it was considered like basically a very kind of conservative right wing policy initiative. And people were saying in his administration, you know, who are the who can we find to actually be able to get people to take this and swallow this? And then David Dinkins stepped up. He said, "They'll swallow this for me." And he, basically the position, the story is, is that he said that because he knew that his reputation as being, quote, unquote, the black progressive meant that he would be a great poison pill for conservative measures that otherwise would not be acceptable. And I think that a perfect example of a politician who worked that way was Obama. Very Whether he would, you know, uh, you know, charter schools that come out of uh, Betsy DeVos-like agendas or whether it would be on the, Flint, the reaction to Flint, Michigan, all of that, that assumption that black people are somehow progressive always works as a tool for the right flank of the liberal party, which is the Democrats. The right flank of the liberal party always use that as an effective way to use a black political figure as a poison pill to give you crap that's not gonna do anything for poor and working class people, black, brown, white, or otherwise, but at the same time, gives you a patina of legitimacy because they seem to be quote unquote progressive. Mm -hmm. It's been used to great effect. Let's see, we have another question here. Why aren't more upset at the brand BLM as a t-shirt skit when the latter is just a celebrity and has no fiduciary duty? That's a really good question. I mean, listen, I'm not gonna, I, I think that there's a significant and legitimate reason to be upset at the trajectory in which Black Lives Matter went down to. I think it's really sad that those young ladies went to just, just some of them just ended up lining their pockets. And I do believe that there's a legitimate reason to have, be angry about what exactly went down with them. I just don't understand why people are, I, I think the problem is, it seemed to be the talking point of the reactionary right. And as a result, it doesn't resonate enough amongst liberal people. Right? You have people like Candace Owens making whole documentaries about it. This is true. Did you watch her documentary? No, I didn't. Was it on YouTube? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> YouTube hosts a lot of right-wing content, so I would think, yeah. Sean Moon has a good question. Does Pascal believe that all political podcasting is all just kayfabe? Are we just engaging in some type of sports talk radio here? That's a fair question. That's a good question. I think I'm going to tell you what I what I try to do. I want to do political education. If I'm failing at that, then that's on me. But the best way that I have to do that political education is to use this vehicle to try to get people to look at politics in a different way than the way it's traditionally presented to them. And 
the best thing I can do, I think, is to try to do that by explaining and having people look at society and politics in the ways outside of their normal wheelhouse. But at the same time, I might be falling short. And you might have a legitimacy in saying I'm full of crap. I'm just blowing smoke. But that's not my goal here. Important to state our goals. I think sometimes people get confused between a podcast and a political party or a DSA type of organization. It takes a little bit more than just listening and watching, you know? We yeah, appreciate I mean, everyone and their participation too. I think that there are a lot there there are a lot there are a lot of podcasts that are kind of not really about trying to empower and change politics. I before I did this podcast podcast, I did ten years writing about black politics in spaces all online, black and gender report, you know, Huffington Post, alternate, all kind of places. And I felt a level of fulfillment because I was able to release people to hear a message about how black politics wasn't serving the black community effectively that they normally would not see in other spaces. When I came together with Jason and had the ability to do that verbally in this media space, it gave me a sense of fulfillment because it allowed me to see that a lot of people are not hearing that type of analysis. Very true. We have a question from Born Center, Cold World. Do you think progressives are done with the Dem Party? AOC mocking her constituents, Dems voting for billions for war in Ukraine while flirting with nuclear war, and Fetterman holding on pushback, folding on pushback. I think where the Democratic grassroots is compared to where the Democrats who are aligned with the Democratic Party is, is two different things. And I think that there is a, a there is a constituency of the Democratic Party and the grassroots who is fed up with the party and doesn't see any reason to support it. And I think that that puts us in a very, very, very dangerous situation because we have a position right now where we don't know whether these Republicans are gonna take the party, but the Democrats are not presenting any type of legitimacy in terms of governing, governing or otherwise that allows us to think what exactly can we do to change the condition on the ground in this country? Agreed. Let's see. We have another question. Where can I get it? Mm, I think I lost it. You guys, just so you know, you can post your questions more than once because we might miss it. Big woes, big woes in the chat. This is the big woes in the chat. What's the lombre? What's the lombre is one of my favorite patients online. <clears throat> M2 Sut, of course, is automatically there, but big woes is, is big woes is high up there. I appreciate that. Woes, did you check out the episode with Paul McComb when we talked about what's the crisis in Haiti? I hope you checked it out. That episode was amazing. I'm still vibing off that one. Excellent. We have like a comment, comment from Sounds of St. Elsewhere. Consuming leftist content doesn't 
guarantee that a person will actually engage in real world efforts to organize in their places of employment or residence. That's not true. I don't disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that. But the thing is, though, if someone puts at least an idea in your mind or sparks an idea in your mind you didn't have before, are we going to say that that idea is valueless? Let's see. Um, I just saw something. Uh, David Russell says there is no great choices in Ukraine. I agree. <laughs> it is a, a really a terrible situation. I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair position that no one would disagree with there. Uh, Born Center Cold World says, bring back the Haitian historian. I like how he breaks down concepts and timelines. He's good. You know Paul McCall? It's got to be Paul. It's got to be Paul McCall. Yeah. Thank you to our mod yeah, for putting the link Who is your least chat. favorite Haitian online? There are many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's not get into online Haitian beef. <laughs> What else? I crane, Ukraine. We all crane for Ukraine. Sounds legit. So we have Gene Bajlan. Good, Gene Bajlan in the house. Thank you, Gene. Really appreciate that. Thank you for your kind words, Gene. Wow, I haven't talked to my uncle in Russia in a long time. They're all very, very concerned about the war. Not in many years, Shirley. I would love to hear to talk to your uncle in Russia. The artist said, "Don't read my nonsense." M. Tucson, too late. How come no one has questions for M. Tucson? She's part of the show. Hello. It's okay. It's okay. I'm with the heavy hitter Pascal. Uh, we have a question from Strom. Do you think that that Mehmet Oz might reduce the stigma? of the GOP with Middle Eastern and Muslim South Asian. Voters. Wow, that's an interesting question. Jeez, that's an interesting question. Man. Do we need Gene for that question? We do, that's, that is a Gene question. The first question, wouldn't that require us to ask how popular is Mehmet Oz in Turkey in the first place? Apparently he's not very, and he's also considered, base over there? he's considered kind of mean. A lot of people feel he's kind of mean, kind of a jerk. Uh, that's my understanding. He's not super popular there. But hey, I could be wrong. I'm not Jim on the Biden ground. said Oz is too secular. Ah. For Turkey. Okay. Turkey has a kind of an Islamist government right now. Yes. Uh, he's known as a grifter in Turkey. Hmm. Well, yeah. Well, who knows how many people he's killed with his uh, medical advice. Yeah, it was kind of dope seeing uh, Jay Smooth rock the TMBS merch. It was nice. Poetic. Poetic, poetic. I'm not an expert on Jamaican politics, but I try to check it out every now and then. 
Uh, it's one of the countries in the Caribbean that does fascinate me, though, mm-hmm. from a historical perspective. They have interesting um, geopolitical ties. They do have very interesting geopolitical ties. My mom said they're always excited about bauxite. They've been stripped of it for years. It was a major exploration for a lot of Western countries a long time in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So you don't think they have much more bauxite? Still I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that, but I know that it's been a, a point of contestation for a long time. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's hard to know. I don't, I don't believe any of these countries are stripped of, of resources. I don't think it's ever complete, even though people act like it is. Right. Well, sometimes the question is, how difficult is the extraction? Because if it's too difficult, people will act like we uh, they don't have any more. That's the one. Born mm-hmm. Boy, you you are giving life to Paul McCombs fantasy dream right now. <laughs> you think Russia will back Haiti like like they did Cuba? That is like you are vocalizing. Everything that Paul McCone fantasizes about right now is that Russia do a pivot to the West and support Haiti. Even, I mean, listen, it's not impossible that Russia and China veto any type of UN mandate to have a US invasion in Haiti. The question is, will that turn into actual tangible influence? I I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I have a question here. Can you mail me the duck? I have plenty of space where it can roam free. I can also introduce it to other ducks it can be friends with. I won't eat it. I don't know. I think Drake needs to stay with me. Drake Pierre. I mean, you can go to the park and get another duck if you want. The elites don't want you to know this, but the ducks at the park are free. You can take them home. Someone asked a very good question. Do you think Kanye has always felt this way, or is this a semantic episode? I think he has. He's having a manic episode, but he's also felt this way for a long time. He's also felt this way for a long time. He's been holding back a lot of things. Oh, Kanye. It's sad. I mean, I understand not wanting to dwell on this person who's apparently a billionaire. Um, you know, it has so much going for him, but it's sad to see he's got a lot of people's hearts and not just the stands. People don't, he's very, um, effusive. He wears his emotions on his face and in his being. And, uh, I, I don't think people like to see it. It's, it's, Black Agenda Report was very ahead of the others in attacking the Democratic Party for its betrayal. Did Pascal hate people who despise defenders of the squad? I don't don't despise. I try not to get into this contention where I hate someone because of their politics. Though for many years, I did judge people because of their politics. People who defend the squad, who see them as a progressive value in the Democratic Party, I don't hate them. I just would like to give them political education and let them know that there's going to be a limitation to the capacity of the squad to fulfill your aspirations because they went into a power party that is designed to be an occupation to progress. In other words, the Democratic Party 
is designed to corral the left opposition and neutralize it, not fulfill it. You know? I have another question for you. What do you think the pitfalls of assuming asserting that all all Dominicans are inherently anti-black because of the the actions of anti-Haitian Dominican and Dominicans? Ooh, that's a very good question. I think that it's, it's very unfair to assume that all Dominicans are somehow racist or anti-black because of the rather tortured relationship that Dominicans and Haitians have had. Uh, there are Haitians and Dominicans that get along very well. And I think that there needs to be more done to really try to remedy that, that fracture that has a long history between the two countries. You don't have the answers, Pascal. <laughs> that is a reference to Kanye in his interview with Sway. Let's see. Any more questions? So, in the chat, Wasni Lombre has said that uh, a lot of prominent black folks with a lot of money um, seem to have these contentious views about Jewish people. Uh, and Caleb is asking, do you think prominent black folks that despise Jews do so because they see our communities, I'm black, as somewhat adjacent, but with Jews, what? Lucking out with white Euro skin, Euro ancestry. There's a lot going on in that question. There's a lot. I think that definitely there's this thing about I had a bad experience with this person. Now we're going to save the entire group. I, I have a problem with the entire group. So I think that that happens as well. And obviously we know that's not where you want to go with things. That's not how that works. If a black guy robs you, are you going to help hate all black guys? Pascal. No. What is the Haitian community of Florida's general assessment of Ron DeSantis? We, the Haitian community in South Florida has a, its own version of a black misleadership class that corrals it into the Democratic Party. So most Haitians in Florida vote Democrat, but there's a very small, tiny, tiny percentage of Haitians that support Republicans. I don't think DeSantis is that popular, uh, but there was a small percentage of Haitians who did catch the Trump wave, believe it or not. That's true. How important is the growing labor movement? Is it just I think growing the labor movement is important, man. I think that having working class, I think I think the problem. If someone was to ask me, Pascal, what do you think is the biggest problem with American politics? I don't think we have working class based politics. When I mean working class, I'm not talking about a shop steward, someone who's a mechanic, or someone who works in a factory. I don't think we have a politics that's based in the position that most Americans are in. Most Americans are working class. I think that we need to find a way to change our politics, particularly black politics, in a way that we move from a politics of elites to a politics of working class people or working people who are basically made to mandate to have to face a nine to five daily. Mm -hmm. We have a statement here from Shirley. Would you like to read it for us? Not here for making black people the face of anti-Semitism. Another reason I'm over Kanye, not a genius West. <laughs> Yeah, 
I mean, I, I don't think that's what's happening. Black people are becoming the face of anti-Semitism. I don't think that's the case, but surely it's something we would want to safeguard against, surely. Anyone else watch Jared Ball's two hours talk on uh, Black Poverty talking about the issue with calling Kanye anti-Semitic? I would love y'all to respond to that, but I know you don't, you don't want the drama. I actually watched it briefly. I didn't watch the whole thing. Okay. And I mean, I, I, I agree with the notion that being anti-Zionist doesn't make you anti-Semitic. Right. But the question does become, because a black person doesn't have a history or has no history of lynching or pogroms against Jews, does that mean that individual black people don't have the capacity to make statements that are antagonistic or harmful to Jewish people? Does that mean that Kanye West has no agency because 42 million black people has no agency? Uh, the person who asked the question says they 100,000% agree with that part. Let's see. Uh, so Sean McCallum is making a, a medical diagnoses for Kanye. Oh, here's a nice question. Pascal, what are your hobbies besides being super smart? Come on. I should have skipped the question just for that. I didn't see the end part. Hobbies? Chess. Fishing. Chess. I did not know that. Yes. Are you a Wu-Tang fan? I'm a big Wu-Tang fan. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Wu-Tang musically probably helped get me through law school in the 90s. Uh, I don't know if I should give light to this comment. I don't even know. Andy William. Andy oh. William. You know, it's funny. I just started a book right now about the the, the, uh, the new the National Negro Congress, uh, who were a bunch of black workers in the, in the 30s that were challenging to get more out of the New Deal. That's what's on my, my book list right now. Shirley said Pascal is a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he fishes. It's not very New York. Haven't seen Adolf Reed on the podcast lately. Any plans to have him on again soon? Year's almost nope. over. The year is almost over. Yeah. Adolf, we had Adolf on like three times in 2022. We got more calls for more Adolf. What would you like? What would you like Adolf Reed to discuss if he came on? The DW interview was received well. Thank you for asking. What's the name of the book on the National Negro Congress? Someone said, "Let's get Adolf to talk about hip hop." If anyone asks where I'm going, I'm not going on my phone. I'm going on my tablet to get the name of the book that someone asked me about. (laughs) Yeah, where has Dr. Reed been? He's been in his house. 
I, that, you know, that would be interesting, him talking about hip-hop, though. You know, I'm talking about hip-hop? I think there's actually some Louisiana hip-hop that you like. Tori told me. Lil Wayne. Death Blow to Jim Crow. The National Negro Congress and the Rise of Militant Civil Rights. By Eric Gelman. Got it. Putting the link in the chat right now. I'd like to ask you guys something. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about Candace Owens as a car- as a, as a personality? Candace is a double asset. She's black and she's a woman, so she apparently gets away with saying a lot of things, doing a lot of things. Do people think Candace Owens is intelligent? What say you, Chad? Jean Bajlan says Candace Owens is amazing. He doesn't say if that's amazing in a good way or amazing in a bad way. She's really good at doing what she does. Indeed, she finessed Kanye out of how many million to buy ailing social media platform Parler. Even right-wingers don't go to Parler anymore. Did you know that? Candace Owens is not dumb, says Midi Doctors. Someone said her wardrobe department is not intelligent. That's the sexism there, uh, Cameron. Oh, man. Let's see. She's a liar. She's an op. She's a propagandist. She's effective too, unfortunately, says many doctors. And she's intelligent enough to know how to make a lot of money shilling to conservatives. She is. It's true. Candace is a social climber and money hungry. She wants the fame and prestige. She's the political female version of Kanye. There you go. There are people calling her Clandis Owens. Oh, man. <clears throat> people are so creative. Candace Owens is smart in that she knows where her lane the lane for, for liberal critique. And double smart to know black people shading blacks is profitable. Good point, Wozniak. Shirley, she doesn't know where to get her hair done. Sure. She, I feel like she does now. She did it for a very long time. Any thoughts on railroad worker strike potential? That's, I've been watching some news about that, man. Uh, I think that'd be an interesting phenomenon to check out for. I support, I support workers. Listen, I am the son of an 1199 nurses union uh, employee. Uh, so I come from a union household. I support the union movement, and I think it's important. Um, what do you think about Candace Owens' edges? Born Sinner says she has weak edges to be talking all that shit. You have no opinion on her edges? I don't. I think it's sexist for me as a black man to be commentary on a black woman's hair. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. 
chat, do you have any burning, pressing questions? Huh. I'm wondering why this is primarily a YT stream. We're going to get into Twitch. We heart you guys too. Huh. <clears throat> MT or Pascal ever heard of Podemos, the Spanish political party based on more or less direct democracy? Personally, I think it's a model with potential for the U.S. I have heard of Podemos, yes. They're very much into, are they also into uh, cooperatives? I think there's an element of them that has a cooperative economic model. I believe so. I believe so. What is your Wu Tang? I don't have a Wu Tang generated name, but I'm interested in the phenomenon. What what what's what are Wu Tang generated names? It's probably some type of name generator online with the Wu Tang theme. You put your name in and it gives you a Wu Tang name. If anyone would like to do that right now for Pascal, that'd be much appreciated. Really cool. I don't know what your T-shirt question is. I haven't seen it. You can repeat questions because we might not catch everything. Do you follow DM25? No, I'm willing to be educated on that though. Please, Anton, let me know. Can Pascal rap? I don't have those skills. I think that's a lie. Pascal is a battle rapper, no less. You said be be kind to people, be ruthless to stupid motherfuckers. And I feel like those are bars right there. You know, those are battle rap bars. Shout out to Michael Brooks again. Lazy Ass Ninja is your Wu-Tang name. No cap. <laughs> Pascal versus Killer Mike. Killer Mark, my Killer Mike might, might might take me out on that one. Jason's the rapper. Pascal's the DJ. <laughs> I like that. You know what's funny? Can I tell you something right now? Sure. You want to laugh? I really want to uh -huh. learn how to DJ as a hobby. Do you? I really do. My brother, my cousins. Were DJs. My brother was a DJ for years, and my older cousin was a hip hop DJ in New York for a long time. I've always wanted to learn how to DJ. That's dope. It it seems like a hell of a skill to have. I mean, just podcasting. My headphones right now have only one ear working. I can't imagine uh, spinning plates, scratching. Oh, it. I don't know how they do it. And they're ahead of, you know, what they're playing at. They're ahead of the people, too. I would like to do a show on Islam, as a matter of fact, with uh, to explain how I came to Islam. And uh, does Islam have any revolutionary per 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 capacity? I'm looking for the perfect host for that. Thank you for someone asking about that. That could be Eugene and Adnan. That would be nice. Pascal's Wu-Tang name is Killer B. Desaline. <laughs> I like it. I'll, I'll, I like I'll that. take that. I'll take that one. Yeah. 
Thank you, Andy Williams. Would Slavoj Zizek be of any interest as a guest? You know, it's interesting. Gene is talking about trying to get Slavoj on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be interested in talking to Slavoj, Slavoj to Professor Zizek. That would be dope. Was Do it? I wear Muslim attire sometimes, very rarely. I used to wear it a lot. He wears Gallaberas that are very starchy, very flat. Whose duck is making all the noise? That would be my duck, Random Electronic 2.0. The duck's name is Drake Pierre. Don't be mean to the duck. Really Cool says it's pronounced Slavoy. Zizek. Thanks, really. Someone wants us to rest our vocal cords. I'm thinking I'm done with that. Yeah. Do you want to wrap up? I think that sounds copacetic. All right. You're, you're all kanye out. We are all kanye out. I'd like to thank you guys for joining us on our Saturday free show, mm-hmm. our Saturday champagne hour show. Look forward to seeing you on Tuesday for This Is Revolution Podcast, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. I believe we should have our captain, Jason Miles, on at that time. Uh, Check out our our audio-only podcast. We've got a great, great back catalog of great shows. YouTube, if you'd rather prefer the video versions. Check out the Mau Mau Hour, my exclusive show. Check out uh, all the content you like. We you know we're here to provide political education, and uh, I hope you got to check out merch. our merch also. Yeah. Click like, sub- subscribe, hit the bell. Uh, where can we find more Pascal? More recent Pascal. More recent Pascal, okay, you 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 can find someone writing at Black Agenda Report. You can find someone writing at Newsweek. Google my name. I have some I some of my older writings that are still at the Huffington Post. I haven't written in a while, but I need to get on that. My comrades here are pushing me to do so, and I need to do so. I will recently appeared on Brianna Joy Great Bad Faith podcast. You can go on her portfolio. You see my my episode on Haiti. Uh, if you go to my Twitter timeline, you should be able to find my episode on Deutsch World. You should also be able to find my episode with Paul McComb talking about issues of Haiti as well. Highly recommend that. Highly recommend all of it, but the Paul McComb one, just really listen to it more than once and let it all sink in. Totally worth it. So, M2, you want to say this, the magic words? You can go ahead and say them. We are out.